Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Taryn Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I'm joined by my favorite gal pal Tara. Hey spooksters. Today, I'm the one who had found an article for y'all, and I got really excited because it was like one of those like crazy rabbit holes down like a Facebook post that was like (laughs) a link to a ranker article. And so Mm -hmm. I think I clicked on something completely different, but then I ended up at this one. And this this ranker article is entitled Underrated Movies Based on Real Life Crimes. And these actually like when I read them, I was like, I have no idea about most of these. I love that. I love that. So we're going to just dive right in. Also, like, if you guys want to, you can, like, look this up on Ranker and vote whichever one you think is the most underrated. In the current first spot is A Cry in the Dark. The movie, A Cry in the Dark, tends to be remembered for a very specific line of dialogue. The dingo ate my baby. (laughs) It has been the subject of multiple pop culture spoofs, most notably on Seinfeld. In reality, there's nothing funny about it. Meryl Streep plays Lindy Chamberlain, a woman charged with murdering her own nine-week-old infant while on vacation in Australia's Outback with her husband, Michael, who is played by Sam Neill, who is the guy from Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lindy insists that she saw a dingo drag her baby away in its mouth, but neither the authorities nor the jury believe her. The film offers another riveting performance from Streep, as well as a compelling look into the case that rocked Australia for years. Unfortunately, that single line of dialogue has changed the perception of a cry in the dark. It deserves to be rediscovered and appreciated for the hard-hitting drama it is. The movie pretty accurately captures the actual story. Lindy Chamberlain became the most hated woman in Australia after she was convicted of murdering her baby, though she maintained her innocence throughout. Although sentenced to life in prison, She was released after only three years when a piece of her baby's jacket was found near a dingo's lair. That it was found was a total fluke. The body of a British tourist was found at the base of a large sandstone formation. In the process of retrieving the body, a search team found a piece of the jacket. Michael, who was also convicted on accessory to murder, was released as well, once this all had occurred. In 2012, a medical examiner confirmed the cause of death, permanently exonerating the couple. Nevertheless, they spent years being called baby killers and sitting behind bars. I don't know why I thought that one was just an urban legend. (laughs) 
felt like I, think- <laughs> I feel like an idiot. <laughs> No, but I think it's because it's the line, like, because the line mm, ate my baby. Mm-hmm. And I think what for me, I get a little confused because like, what is it? Michael Crane wrote Jurassic Park. And in the actual movie or the book Jurassic Park, there's like a scene where a little girl is, is like basically like dragged through the jungle by little. It's basically the beginning uh, of the second Jurassic Park movie is the beginning uh-huh. of the first book. Interesting. Yeah. So movie number two is called The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. And we're going back to Australia for this one. (laughs) Jimmy Blacksmith, played by Tommy Lewis, was born to a white father and an aboriginal mother. Because of that, he was never fully accepted by white society. Making things worse, the British rule of Australia in the 1900s enacted more than a few racist policies. Jimmy finds himself facing all kinds of racist attitudes after he marries a white woman. That pushes them over the edge, leading him to embark upon a killing spree. This exceptionally well-reviewed film was directed by Fred Shepsby, offers a fascinating look into the historical racism of Australia. In addition, the true insight on the progenitors of violence. It's a smart picture about a tough subject that never quite made the splash with the domestic audience. The real story is Jimmy's last name was Governor, and pretty much all the other details are the same as the film. Jimmy married a 16-year-old white woman and grew tired of people harassing her for wedding him. The last draw was when he was insulted by a member of the family for whom his wife performed housework. He responded by killing everyone in the clan with a tomahawk. Jesus. This in turn... is not even done. This in turn... (laughs) spurred him to go on a killing spree with his brother joe that lasted over two months holy shit did it say how many people they killed in total oh my god i'm sure quite a bit we could definitely look it up (laughs) they killed people who had crossed them in some way authorities pursued him and at one point he was shot in the mouth by a hunter that weakened him allowing for capture once apprehended jimmy was tried and sentenced to death by hanging wow and he went all out. Fuck, for real. And I mean, shit, if that hadn't, if him getting shot in the mouth hadn't stopped, like, slowed him down, I'd have been like, are you Jason? I'm confused. I'm just like, dude, you're going to starve to death. Because if you, like, <laughs> depending on, like, where you get shot in the mouth, can mm. you eat properly without the proper medical help? Mm-mm. Okay, Mm-mm. so the next movie is called Bully. And one of the characters in it <laughs> is Damien from Mean Girls. <gasps> mm-hmm. but i don't think he's playing a fun character oh sad <laughs> the movie's called bully bully is an exceptionally difficult film to watch that's the first sentence of this <laughs> but it is one that has great power and can handle tough material nick stale plays bobby kent a troubled teen with sociopathic tendencies he's often physically aggressive with his best friend marty brad ranfo which i believe is the guy who plays Damien. And he A.S.'s his girlfriend, Lisa, played by Rachel Minor. Because of all the abusive behavior he inflicts, Marty and Lisa decide that the only way to make it stop is to eliminate Bobby. I mean... They soon enlist several others to join the cause. The sequence in which the group carries out the murder is graphic and horrifying. Bully's real power, though, is depicting the moral lapse that allows kids to take such extreme measures. 
It is a stunning portrayal of a deceferted youth. Unpleasant subject matter, limited box office appeal, lending the box office to only total $1.4 million despite a rave four-star review from Roger Ebert. Oh, Jesus. Go for them. Hmm. Okay, the, yeah. the real story of Bully. Hmm. The true story behind Bully began at a Florida pizza hut with several teens plotted to get rid of Bobby Kent on July 14th, 1993. They lured him to a secluded canal where two of them distracted him while the other struck him from behind, stabbing him in the neck with a knife. As he lay bleeding, one of them beat him with a baseball bat and someone slashed his throat. Oh my lord. The group tossed Bobby's body into a marsh. One of the culprits, Derek Dezork, grew a guilty conscience, going to the police a few days after the event and leading them to Bobby's remains. Because of the ages of everyone involved, the case made national headlines. Adding to the shock value was the fact that three of the teens never met Bobby Kent. They were simply into the idea of helping to murder someone. All seven of the offenders received jail time and they were all unrepentant for their offenses. Dude, that reminds me of that one that happened here on the hiking trail, yeah. remember? Were they all just like, like a group of them just like fucking plotted to kill her? Groupthink. Ugh. My uh, coworker George and I were talking today. He was really funny. We were like quoting. I was like, yeah, like, you know what like Tommy Lee Jones says in MIB. And, you know, people are dumb. <laughs> And he goes, yeah, I heard this <laughs> quote once. He literally was quoting that movie <laughs> after I just had said it. I was like, okay. Okay. So the next one is the, was the thing on the article that actually made me go, oh, because Kate Winslet is in this movie. And it was directed by Peter Jackson. Okay. It's called Heavenly Creatures, the movie. Several years before becoming a household name with Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson made one of the best true crime movies of the 90s. Heavenly Creatures stars Kate Winslet and Melanie Linsky as teenage girls in New Zealand who strike up an intense friendship. Indulging in fantasies and pretending that they're real is an everyday activity for them. That leads to murder when their parents feel the bond of them becoming unhealthy. Anchored by stunning, nuanced performances with the two leads, Heavenly Creatures expertly depicts how these girls get dangerously lost in fantasy to the point that they practically disassociate from the real world. This picture gets under your skin. I'm like, I really want to watch this movie. So I was like, shit. Mm-hmm. The real life story. In 1954, adolescents Pauline Parker and Juliet Holm really did strike up this kind of a friendship. Pauline's mother came to believe that things were becoming too intense between her daughter and Juliet. Aside from in the indulgence in the fantasy that included the belief in the fourth world paradise, Another concern was that there might be a sexual element to their friendship. This was a time when same-sex relationships were viewed as less than understanding as their che. That's literally what it says in parentheses, guys. When she tried to separate them, the girls beat her to death with a brick. Even more shocking, forensic evidence suggests that one of the girls held the woman's head down and the other pummeled her. (gasps) Oh my god. Mm. The kicker to the story is that after serving time for murder... Juliet grew up and changed her name and became the best-selling mystery author in Perry. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was like, what? Wow. The actual fuck, I've read her books. 
That was such a roller coaster. Oh my god. Right? Hmm. <laughs> How is that not the top one? Come on now. It's like <laughs> it was what? Four? It was four. Mm-hmm. It needs to be one. Facts. Everyone go to this article wow. right now and vote for four to become one. Do it. <laughs> okay. Facts. The next one is called The Honeymoon Killers. Oh, I've never watched this, but I've always like meant to. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. The next time you think your love life is pitiful, <laughs> remember Martha Beck, the lead in The Honeymoon Killer. She's fallen in love with her pen pal, Ray Fernandez. He's a psychopath who seduces lonely women, does away with them, and takes all their money. Rather than falling prey to race schemes, though, she decides to join him, worrying that he'll take up with another woman if she's not around. Because she doesn't believe anyone else would want her due to her weight issues, Martha is willing to be with him despite his streak for violence. What follows is a brutal string of killings committed by the two. Made with, <laughs> with an eye towards creating a sense of authenticity, the movie offers a harrowing depiction of codependency and sociopathy. Powerful performances by Stoller and LeBlanco added to the picture's unnerving quality. An interesting bit of trivia is that young Martin Scorsese directed the film for one week before being fired. Hmm. The real life story. Yes. Okay, this is not that. That was not the movie I was thinking of, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is definitely black and white. The real Ray Fernandez had every intention of conning Martha Beck. Left bald after a serious head injury while serving in World War II, he launches a scheme to steal lonely women from their money. Martha was his prime target, as she was overweight and not particularly attractive. The two formed a connection, though, and he decided to to spare her. Instead, they joined forces and placed personal ads in the newspaper looking for lonely hearts who might be susceptible to their wicked intentions. Martha pretended to be his sister, and the ruse worked a couple of times. A woman they tried to con in Michigan knew something was up, so in a fit of impatience, they murdered her and her her two-year-old daughter, burying their bodies (gasps) in the basement. The killer couple confessed when caught, but did not anticipate that they would be extradited to New York, a state that used the electric chair. Both were executed in Sing Sing Prison. Good. Yes, you dick faces. Okay, the next one is called Snowtown Murders. Ooh, dramatic. Director Justin Krizel has made a specialty of deep diving into the psychology of criminals. Prior to his stunning 2022 film of Netram, which looks at the events leading up to the worst mass shooting in Australia's history, he made Snowtown Murders. It details how an angry man named John Benting becomes a mentor slash manipulator to his girlfriend's teenage son, Jamie. Together, they go on a killing spree. The film offers a harrowing look into the sociopathic mind of Bunting, but also how he was able to spread or, depending on how you choose to look at it, force his sociopathy onto Jamie. Griselle tells the story in a frankness, yet never allows the movie to veer into exploitation or totteriness. This is an insightful look into the abyss as you will find. Hmm. The real story is John Benting was responsible for a dozen slayings during the 1990s. He became close to his girlfriend's son, Jamie, a essay abuse victim, lacking a positive role model in his life. 
Bunting took on that role and the two became close. Despite the seemingly benevolent gesture, there was a real anger inside. Bunting had a great deal of resentment towards people he felt were a scourge on society, particularly gay men, people accused of being pedophilias and those of low economic status. That dehumanization of individuals he disliked made him think he was justified in killing them via the most gruesome means imaginable. Even more disturbing is that I love how this article, like, you're like, oh, God, this is pretty fucking horrific. And then it's like, even more. And you're it's like, like, what do you mean? It's like, more. don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> right, Jesus. Even more disturbing is he was said to have laughed as his targets perished. Oh, my God. Jamie was pulled into some of his violent activities as a result of the influence of bunting. DNA evidence eventually helped authorities nab the man who carried out the acts along with another individual, Robert Joe Wagner. Jamie was sentenced to life with a minimum of 26 years served. Bunting and Wagner received life without parole. Hmm. Jesus. Number seven is going to be Rosewood. The movie. A few years after the breakout debut, Boys in the Hood, director John Singleton made the historic drama Rosewood. It wow, didn't look get at that range. <laughs> <laughs> what? I was like, wow, look at the range of like, <laughs> those are very different. <laughs> they are. <laughs> very different. I mean, kind of. Well. Yeah. No, I mean, one is about a murderer and the other is about a kid getting murdered. Oh, oh, you know what? Never mind. I was thinking of a different movie. We're going to pretend I didn't say that, and I'm not going to even go into it because CK will just laugh at me inside. <gasps> uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. It didn't get a lot of attention, which is a shame because it tells an important story. Set in 1923, the film star Don Cheadle, isn't it, as citizens of a Florida town, almost all the people who lived there were African-American. On New Year's Day, a mob of bad people from a nearby white community shows up looking for trouble as they have led the charge in protecting the town and their families within it. So just to kind of poke a hole in this. So there's like a town, like these two towns were definitely segregated. How are you? I don't understand. Florida, yeah. once again, I don't understand you. <sighs> don't even try. <laughs> John Vaught who we all know is Angelina Jolie's fada, co-stars as a white grocery store owner who lends a hand. Singleton infuses Rosewood with equal parts passion and urgency, creating a movie that has a lot to say on the subject of racism then and now. The real life story. Mm -hmm. The true story behind Rosewood indeed did begin January 1st, 1923, when a 22-year-old white woman named Fanny Taylor, you know no woman named Fanny Taylor is making good choices, mm -mm. claimed that she'd been beaten by a black man. Her husband, James, assembled a band of white locals, along with some KKK members, to search for the individuals. That led them to Rosewood, where they began beating and torturing people in an effort to get information. A gun battle eventually broke out, and within a day, newspapers began reporting the story. This led even more white aggressors to flood Rosewood, where they were setting buildings on fire and then shot people as they ran out of the burning structures. White people are the worst. Mm -hmm. The mob pulled back after a couple of days, but not before having wiped out an entire town. 
Although legal proceedings occurred, the jury, who heard from mostly white witnesses, not the black citizens themselves, declined to hold anyone accountable. Mm. Jesus. Number eight, Bernie. This is the one with Shirley MacLaine and Jack Black. Crime generally isn't funny, but Richard Linklater's Bernie found one so bizarre and unlikely that it lent itself to a comedic treatment. Jack Black plays Bernie Tided, an assistant undertaker in a small town in Texas. By all accounts, he's a pillar of the community. Bernie has especially close relationship with Margaret Nugent, Shirley MacLaine, a widow who is known for her nasty temper. No one understands why Bernie likes her. When Marjorie is slain and her body shoved into a freezer, he becomes the prime suspect. Interestingly, everyone in town rallies to his defense. The film finds the humor and the quirky personality of the central character, as well as the offbeat idea that town residents are okay with a man offing a woman nobody cared for. Anchored by Jack Black's winning performance, Bernie is a kooky crime flick that has a nice low-key approach. The real story is the town of Catherine, Texas was not exactly rocked when Margaret was, was found at the bottom of a freezer. Even the fact that she had been dead for months didn't raise a lot of eyebrows. The assistant funeral director, Bernie, confessed to shooting her four times in the back, but this also barely raised a fuss. In fact, townspeople argue that Bernie was actually a pretty good guy despite the heinous crime. The local preacher went so far as to deliver a sermon about how to support how Bernie needed support through this ordeal. In jail, local women baked cakes and pies for him to enjoy. What caused such a compassion for the killer? Part of it was due to the fact that Bernie had taken about $500,000 of Marjorie's money, which he donated to the local church and handed (sighs) out to people in need. As for the slang, Marjorie was mean to him and he simply reached his boiling point. So you're saying that, Mm. I've never seen this movie. I need to watch this movie. So you're saying this man killed her because she was mean and then (laughs) gave her money away and people were like, meh? Apparently. This was like not that long ago. No. Okay. Number nine is Summer of Sam, which I'm like, is this? Okay. Spike Lee's Summer of Sam captures the fear and terror that spread through New York City during 1977. A series of gruesome murders, all apparently committed by the same person, had everyone shook. The movie follows a group of people in one specific Bronx neighborhood who was impacted by the crimes, even growing suspicious of each other. As he always says, Lee brings an electrifying quality to the story, digging deep to show how mistrust and paranoia was born from the strings of the slangs. Strong performances from Aidan Brody, John Leguizama, and... Myra Savano added to the impact as the actors authentically shows how living in constant fear psychologically impacts their characters. Although never mentioned in the same breath as Do the Right Thing or Malcolm X, Summer of Sam recounts the true story as only a lifelong New New York City resident Spike Lee could. Its stylish masterpiece is cinematic anxiety. I don't know if I want cinematic anxiety. The real story, we all know this is David Berkowitz. I'm not going to read the description. You know Mm -hmm. what happened. Mm -hmm. We have an episode. (laughs) (gasps) The number 10 is the cat's meow. I get really excited because Edward Herman is in it, which if you know, is Richard from Gilmore Girls. Mm -hmm. Okay. The cat's meow famed newspaper publisher 
William Waldorf Hearst, who's played by Ed Herman, holds a party on his private yacht. It's the who's who of famous names, including Charlie Chapman, the film pioneer Thomas Ince, and the fledging gossip columnist Luella, sorry, Luella Parsons. Also on board is his lover, Marion Davis. Oh, played by Kirsten Dunst? That's an age gap for you. Interesting. Hearst believes she's having a fling with Chaplin and subsequently tries to kill him. He shoots Ince by accident, then uses his immense influence to get his guests to help him cover up the crime. Hmm. Hmm. Directed by Peter Bunglevich. The Cat's Meow is a fun portrait of the intersection between old-time fame and power, as well as the fascinating speculation of a killing that has never been solved. It marked the return to the form for its director after several poorly reviewed efforts, yet stalled out at $3 million in domestic grosses. Hmm. The real story is Thomas Ince's death certificate lists the cause of death of demise as indigestion or heart attack. <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether or not it's true, true remains a mystery. What we know for sure is that he indeed did board the boat for a star-studded party being thrown by Hearst. When he passed, the publishing magnate's newspaper intentionally said he fell ill at Hearst Ranch, then expired at home shortly afterwards. It's true. If you, if you control the media, you control everything, and Hearst did. But at home shortly after, surrounded by family. Though people saw him on the yacht to show that it wasn't true, Chaplin's secretary supposedly saw the bullet hole in his corpse. Rumors spread that Hearst shot Ince by accident in, in the midst of a jealous belief that Davies was having an affair with Chaplin, which, I mean, I think Chaplin was maybe also agely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. The district attorney only ever called one witness to testify that a man was a doctor on Hearst's payroll, combined with the fact that Parsons was conveniently signed to a life contract by Hearst shortly after the tragic incident. Rumors have long swirled that he literally bought the silence of those who were present that evening. Hmm. I mean, it's true. I, I can see how that would, that right. would look. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. So there's several more on this article, but we're going to like do a part two eventually. Mm-hmm. So we are going to call it an evening well it's an evening for us it's actually nighttime for us but you know call it the end of the episode so we will be <laughs> back next time we hope you enjoyed and we will see you then bye guys bye bye